Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lost Talk Radio. It's the Dirty Tricks intro from our homogenous uh, random <laughs> generic music intros. So this is Michael. It's uh, Thursday, May 7th, and we're doing another uh, another episode this week of Drive Through HR, but we're doing a daytime episode, which we haven't done in a while. So, Robin, are you uh, are you awake down there in Baton Rouge and ready to do kind of the early or daytime shift? I haven't done this in a bit. So how are you? Yeah, you know, I um, I am awake. It's a lovely, lovely, gorgeous day in South Louisiana. And um, I actually do better with the daytime shows because, like, since I have no social life now, uh, I mm-hmm. mean, for the nighttime shows, I'm practically ready to go to bed by the time we right. <laughs> get to the nighttime shows. Yeah, I, I keep looking enviously at your Facebook pictures of, you know, staring off the back of the boat at the river, I guess, that mm-hmm. when you're out, when you guys are out on your boat, because I, I miss the water. But um, we're, uh, yeah, same thing here. I'm the nighttime shows, uh, they, they do break up the monotony a little bit. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about um, today <laughs> on this show. We have kind of a we're we're doing some we're doing some different formats. And and so this show is actually scheduled for an hour uh, I don't know that we'll get a lot of listeners calling in but in for the show and have a question for our guest. You know, feel free. We'll be on for 60 minutes, uh, assuming the conversation takes us that long. But I'd like to welcome our guest today, who is Rebecca Ray. And Rebecca, welcome to Drive Through HR. How are you? Well, I, I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing pretty well, and uh, I'm grateful for many of the positive things in my life. And and one of them is the opportunity to spend some time with with you and Robin today. So thank you for that opportunity. Absolutely. And we're glad to have you. You know, I I think I know, but I'm not sure, Rebecca, where where do you reside? I'm in lovely Northwest New Jersey and uh, our offices are around the world, but uh, I'm more or less, at least until recently, I was out of the New York headquarters office. So, yeah, so that, that's what I thought. I thought the headquarters was up in up in either New York or in that area, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So mm-hmm. you're kind of in the middle of a in the middle of all this um, as much as anyone. Yeah, this, uh, as anyone can. This, yeah. that's right. This tri-state area is pretty much the epicenter at the moment. Although you know, mm-hmm. God knows there are many parts of the U.S. that are impacted, even in outside of the large cities and in some of the rural areas that are particularly hard hit. Um, but we are just had an extended uh, lockdown, and and like so many folks, you know, we're beginning to think about, you know, coming out of what might be considered the beginning, and into now a sort of a transition phase into what will be next. And I have no illusions about the next being the last next. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> use whatever whatever phrase you like. You know, the new, the next, the next normal, the reimagined workplace. You know, whatever whatever you like. But I think. We're going to be looking at waves and waves of 
of change and um, yeah. you know, thinking about the one that's on the closest horizon is sort of where most people, I think, sort of have their their heads. Yeah, we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into all that in a minute because that's it's such a different such a different way to think about planning, um, you know, a response for work. But before we before we get into the discussion, um, which is about COVID nineteen and planning, uh, please for our guests and listeners who will be, be here live or download in the future, introduce yourself and tell tell us who you are. Oh, of course. So at the moment, I am the executive vice president for human capital at the conference board. And um, the conference board was founded more than 100 years ago. We're uh, a business-focused think tank, and uh, uh, we try to look very rationally at uh, at issues and supporting our members across the entire spectrum. So whether that's uh, corporate uh, and board governance, it's finance, it's economics, it's human capital, sustainability and marketing. It's every uh, C-suite role that you can think of. Uh, We try to have programs and insights and uh, networking opportunities for for those folks. Prior to joining the conference board 100 years ago, (laughs) it seems like (laughs) yesterday and and 100 years ago, we'll wrap it into one. But I was a practitioner at uh, several uh, Fortune 50 companies and had the privilege of leading uh, human capital efforts. Um, And so when I came to the conference board and the challenge was to to build out the human capital practice, it seemed like just the right kind of challenge uh, for me. Mm-hmm. So I was very pleased to join a company where even back in 1916, the mission was to help organizations do well so that they in turn could could help society. And we've never really lost sight of that. And so perhaps the work that we do now in the human capital space uh, has never been more relevant as we try to support mm-hmm. our member companies as well as the public through what is really an unprecedented time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That is, and we, um, you know, I think, um, you know, Mike and I are are out um, in the daytime, um, still in the in the trenches um, with either our companies or clients, um, and I, I've I've got to tell you, these last several months for HR leaders um, and HR teams has just been. Um, you know, a wild ride, um, and I, 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 I find it interesting because you know we're having this very necessary conversation right now, and obviously we need to to look forward. But believe it or not, you may, and you all may believe this. Um, I have still here within the last week run into companies that are still asking the questions that most companies asked two months ago mm-hmm. in terms of, I mean, they haven't even thought through some of the planning that some companies were doing, you know, two months ago. Um, and here we are already, just the accelerated pace that we're in, you know, here we are already talking about <clears throat> transitioning to this next phase. And there are people that haven't even come out of the pre-pandemic operating model yet. Have you noticed that, Rebecca, or is it just people I talk to and run into? <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's all over the map. I mean, it's like the old quote about the future has already arrived. It's just not evenly distributed. And yeah, so, yeah. so much of, of this is a very industry-specific or company-specific or, or personal impact in, in ways that's mm-hmm. very individual. 
And, and I think mm-hmm. it does matter, you know, what geographic region you're in, what industry, you know, how well prepared you were. And I think for a lot of companies, um, they were caught a little flat-footed. Um, a lot of companies I don't think had thought uh, as much as perhaps they wish they had when it comes to being able to ensure business continuity from a worker right. preparation perspective. And so you have, uh, you have some companies who are still trying to sort out, you know, how will we get laptops to people and a VPN and adequate Internet in their homes so that they could continue mm-hmm. to participate, you know, virtually. Mm-hmm. And I, I say this knowing full well that there are many workers for whom virtual work is not an option. And those right. folks, um, unfortunately, in many cases, need to make a very difficult decision between their health and safety and a paycheck. So I, I want to be very, very conscious of that. And, and certainly all the heroes on the front line who are providing essential services or, or direct health care. Um, and so that's not the luxury that they have had, which is to sit through yeah. and think about, gee, how shall I work from home? And what shall I do since the schools are closed and childcare options are closed? So... I think um, those are not small questions and those are not small issues, but I think this pandemic has exposed a lot of things that we need to think seriously about as a society in terms of, you know, child care and elder care and the burden that it uh, disproportionately places on some when infrastructure then um, becomes uh, less than what we would hope for in moments of crisis. I think... Yeah. It's, it's one thing to tell your employees that you need to work remotely and even to support them with equipment. And then, you know, we have some, some Americans who are in situations where home is not a safe place. Right. And so that becomes uh, a, a, just a hellish nightmare for some folks. You know, we, we also have some that, you know, some workers took pay cuts um, or were furloughed. Mm-hmm. And we all know some of the research that says that most Americans will find it difficult to deal with a surprise repair bill of a thousand dollars. And so you 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 have children who are not in public schools, and that was where they had at least two meals a day. And you have mm-hmm. workers who or ex-workers who cannot fear you know, they can't uh, defend uh, against some of the forces at at the wind, and they find it difficult to feed their families, or they're struggling to think about. You know, how long can they remain in this um, home or, or apartment? And right. you know, so, so it's all of that coming in at very base levels. And when you think about what we're asking employees to do, which is to set all that aside and to be there for our employees, excuse me, for, for each other certainly, but also for customers and clients and the public, you know, that's a, that's a total order. And we don't have to think too hard on this. You just look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And those things have to be addressed. I think one thing that I have um, noticed is that, I mean, I've been around a little while, and we've we've seen different things to different degrees. This is unprecedented for sure, but I have never seen the level of attention or thoughtfulness around employee well-being or mental health openly discussed and opportunities and, uh, and support provided. Uh, in anything prior to this, and I think this is a very good sign that if people are attentive to it, even now when the crisis is, you know, upon us or perhaps even beginning to recede a tiny bit, those needs for mental health or well-being support are only going to be exacerbated. You know, to Michael's point uh, earlier, 
about, you know, bereavement leave as an example. Well, a lot of people are grieving. A lot of people are impacted. But the bereavement leave that they would like to have taken would need to come in the future because they couldn't take it now. I, I don't want to go to another virtual funeral or shiva. I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. Mm-hmm. And, but the, for, and that's happening everywhere. We're all impacted to greater or lesser degrees. And so the time for a lot of people to process this and to come out of the shock phase, if it's a deeply personal loss, is not even here yet. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that has been, that's kind of developing right now is for many of, you know, what we've begun to refer to as essential employers or essential employees, uh, companies have done like temporary changes to the pay and, or benefit structure as it, in an mm-hmm. effort to kind of compensate folks, I think, for, you know, the, the additional stress and risk and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, different, different models all over the place. Um, and now, at least in a couple of examples I've seen recently, without naming company names, they're, start, they're starting to kind of unroll those. And it's interesting, you know, like that's going to, there's going to be problems from that. I think, you know, the people, people were worth two bucks an hour more, or they had, you know, they got leave and now they don't and those kind of things. And, you know, I think employers are going to face some, some issues along those lines of like, okay, that was an interim program for a unique situation, but if you could do it then, why can't you keep doing it? I think is the question they're going to face. And, you know, there's just a hundred of, that's not really a question, I guess. It's just kind of teeing up <laughs> another, sort of another, um, you know, I mean, I mean the, the list of issues that, that HR practitioners are going to have to choose from to respond to seems almost infinite. <laughs> and, and, it's, and, and even just trying to have a conversation about it is a little overwhelming because there, there is no right answer, I guess. But, but, but our organizations are going to be looking to us uh, at, at, to at least help provide guidance on some of those answers. I mean, to your point earlier, it's, it's not a, just an HR issue it's, and it's not a one person kind of decision. So, so I, where I'm going with this, I guess, kind of off the top of my head is that, that you guys have developed at, at the conference board, you've developed a tool that uh, a data uh, or a, 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 it's not just a spreadsheet, but it's a, it's a planning tool. Okay. Really? Yeah. That's intended to help, us practitioners and companies and employers, um, not only to create safe and effective workplaces, but to kind of respond to all these, this multitude of issues. So, so I, and that's part of what we wanted to talk about today. So can you kind of mm-hmm. highlight the tool and then we'll, we'll sort of start going down through some of the, some of the contents and what it does and the approach you've suggested and probably have some other extemporaneous conversation. Sure. So before we go there, I, I fully agree that the many decisions that were made during the crisis as it was unfolding, and granted to Robin's point, you know, things happened at different times and in different ways mm-hmm. and at different levels of, you know, intensity. But all those decisions that might have been made, whether to furlough employees or to provide, um, you know, pay cuts or to suspend 401k matches or to uh, freeze uh, hiring or to freeze bonuses or to ask people to 
uh, work differently. I mean, every policy that was impacted during that process will need to be revisited. And so in this planner, which, you know, I'd like to tell you it's the missing third tablet, but it's really not. It's, <laughs> it's a spreadsheet with what I hope are the right questions to ask because I don't have the answers. And only the folks in an organization with their colleagues and other experts, whether they're in, in risk or they're in facilities or they're in legal or finance, and certainly HR is at the forefront here, these are the questions that I think should be asked or at least explored because every one of those policies is going to be revisited. Now, it may be that you want to hold that, uh, um, to use your example, Mike, the higher compensation for at-risk or essential workers, okay, maybe the right decision is to keep it for at least for the time being, and maybe it's not. And so every one of those decisions needs to be revisited. But I think even before you get to the HR policies, every organization needs to step back and think about, is this the same, are we in the same business? Mm-hmm. Are we serving our customers or the public in the same way? What have we learned from this? And are we a different company or are we on a evolutionary path to something else? And so this planner, there's a, there's a short piece that I wrote that sort of frames it up, but in this planner, it's really, you know, you start with the assessment is what business are we in? And does it make sense to try to return to normal? And I use that in the, the loosest possible sense, please hear me. But, you know, hmm. it, it, it's probably not the right approach to say, let's go back and how can we make it normal? I think we are fundamentally changed as, as a country. And while there are going to be things that will eventually come back, you know, for those of us who you know, in the New York area and, and impacted by um, the attacks on 9-11. You know, after a while, there was sort of a return to normalcy, but it took a long time, and there's, I think, some, some scarring that goes along with that. Um, but some things are irrevocably changed. So the question needs to be up front with all of the senior leader team, leadership team is, you know, what is, what is the business going forward? How has our mission changed, if at all? Um, and certainly what would be our strategy now, uh, given whatever you know, alterations to the mission may have been necessary? But then from that flows a lot of other things. Um, and I think those are the kinds of questions that have to be asked first. So it's really an assessment of you know, where are we headed and what kind of company will we become? It's also an assessment of what can we do? You know, A lot of these decisions are going to be uh, shaped by what government uh, guidance will be or um, shelter-in-place orders. We just had an extension of another month yesterday by our governor here in New Jersey. And and so, you know, if you were planning to return to work next week, well, surprise, you know, um, you now have to comply with, with a variety of things. So it's finding out what's possible. It's also doing an assessment of the community. If you don't have a, let's say, a public transit uh, system, that people will feel comfortable using, your return to work plans are going to need to be modified. If there are requirements for you to have protective equipment in the workplace, and generally speaking, that's going to be a consideration most everywhere, you know, can you get your hands on it? Can you, do you have ways to sanitize that? Have you thought about what it's going to take to get the equipment that you need in order to open the doors and, and bring folks back? And then there's another whole group of, of planning uh, questions around, well, what will the workplace or the shop floor or the manufacturing plant need to look like with social distancing, with staggered shifts, 
with um, looking at crowd flow, you know, and trying to keep people um, out of congested areas. If you have to shut down your cafeterias, how are you going to feed people? How will they, how will they get in and out of the, uh, the building? Are you going to ask them to queue up for hours before the plant or that shift opens up? And will you be scanning their foreheads? And do you believe that a scan for those who are asymptomatic is going to make returning workers feel that it's safe? So, you know, there's, there's no end to the number of questions. And some businesses are going to reasonably ask the question, at what point is my liability greater than my desire to bring employees back? Mm-hmm. Because we, there's much we don't know, and, and that's you know, sort of a lingering question out there as well. And it's one thing to say, come back to work. It's another to have workers feel as though they can trust you, although if you take a look at some of the Edelman Trust Index, you know, people tend to, to trust their own companies to greater degrees than many other institutions, so that's a good thing. Um, but what about those who are at risk, who perhaps live with someone who's at risk? And so asking them to come to the workplace has a different level of impact than others who perhaps are, you know, in a small studio in Manhattan and cannot wait to get back to the workplace. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do you do there? What's fair? Do you require that individual to come back to the workplace? And if not, what, what kind of choices will you be making? Those who are coming into the workplace, are they going to be compensated in exactly the same way as those who are working remotely? And just because you'd like to bring everyone back, if the schools aren't open, you still have childcare issues. And we also know that the mommy penalty is still a factor here. And, you know, it um, creates sometimes an even bigger burden on uh, caregiving parents. So I'll, I'll stop there. But that's what the plan is designed <laughs> to do, is to really ask the questions because Honestly, I could spend the rest of our time together mm-hmm. rattling off the questions and concerns that people that people share. You know, when I talk to um, CHROs and other you know C-suite leaders in, in in the HR space, they are not rushing, generally speaking, back to to opening the workplace without thinking through an awful lot of these very naughty problems. Mm-hmm. I, I remember last month we had a um, a webcast, and I had the good fortune to. Um, have the CHRO of the New York Port Authority, uh, excuse me, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Mary Lee Hannell, uh, on the call. And uh, she, this is not her first um, crisis, having gone yeah. through a couple of bombings at the World Trade Center. And just, I cannot imagine. And, you know, Superstorm Sandy and a lot of things. So, you know, she, she made the point that in this particular instance, this was different because as horrible as those earlier crises were, at least fairly early on in the process, you had a sense of what you were dealing with, the magnitude or the impact or the scope of something. Here, there are so many unknowns that you really Mm -hmm. can't necessarily start to plan because there are so many factors over which you have either little information or or even less control. So I know we're, we're getting better with things, but we're not there yet. For, yeah. for many folks, and so it's it's tenuous. With those yeah. sorts of those sorts of incidents, uh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, with those sorts of incidents, and um, having gone through several hurricanes and major flooding and things myself, it's um, there's a there's a bit of preparation or, or anticipation 
the event is fairly short-lived and you're immediately for the most part in recovery mode you know what you're dealing with your 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 boots on the ground you're you're moving right into okay. reacting and and addressing the issues and this yeah this <clears throat> excuse me the uncertainty and we don't know what's going to happen and and how so many things are interwoven um with so many other things they um you know we're we're talking about the employees but but then you think of the businesses with um that are customer facing um mm-hmm. retail and 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 shops and restaurants and things of that sort um yesterday and there's nothing definitive yet but yesterday the the mayor of New Orleans came out with um a thought not necessarily a plan no guidance on what this would look like yet but that her desire is um for for facilities to open back up um any any person entering that business would need to be logged in and so she's thinking about like the contact contact tracing sure. aspect of this <clears throat> and so uh, so immediately there was a whole flurry of discussion on the local uh newspaper um you know website um what will this look like i you know I own a grocery store, and you know I, I I'm probably not going to have my customers want to you know there's there's people saying, "Oh, it's my right to privacy, you shouldn't have to know that I'm in your store um do I turn them away who who how do I collect this information? What do I do with it where do what does it do what do you know oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to have somebody just standing out managing this this line of people um who are gonna be mad because they have to wait in this line to come in and get their groceries um yeah. So yeah, I mean, oh, yes. Yeah. This is this is brave new world territory. Well, and and to, to add on to what Robin just said, you also have the political implications. Um, you know, sort of the the red blue split. The you know, I wearing a mask is an invasion of my personal privacy. You know, protests, security guards in front of the door was shot. You know, in a sort of a planned yeah. effort. It seems. Yeah, I mean. You know, I know there are, you know, there are protests, you know, at the at the state capitals, but I think those are starting to spill over into, you know, like I work in retail and, you know, there's a whole there's a whole phase of people that want everyone in the store to be wearing a mask. And then there's a whole nother group that view it as a, you know, very strong infringement on their personal rights. So the employers aren't just dealing with their employees in those cases, to your point, Robin, about public facing, but they're also dealing with customers that have a wide variety of opinions and attitudes about mm-hmm. what people, what it, what a, what a, what they can be asked to do as a customer. Right. So this, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. I, I know we just keep going around. There's like, like this is unprecedented, <laughs> and, but it's, it's just, you know, there's no right answer. It's just, it's just crazy. So that's not a question. No shoes, either. no shirt, no service, no shoes, no shirt, no mask, no service. I don't know. Right. Right. No mask. We talked the other night about temperature checks and, and I think that was called the street. The medical called theater. Medical <laughs> theater. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, so same as shoes. Anyway, so so Rebecca, so we can we can kind of wring our hands, I guess, and clutch our pearls to you know, about how hard this is, but there are some there are some things in your list that I think are useful. Um, in the mm-hmm. or in the tool, so let, let's let's talk about the the tool and the phases for a minute. Um, and, and and you broke it down into 
I mean, three large categories, I guess, um, assessment phase, preparation phase, and return phase. So let's, mm-hmm. let's kind of at a high level, you know, since, since the, the problem is big and thorny, we all agree on that. Got to start somewhere. And, you know, the, the old adage is you can't eat the elephant in one bite. So how, 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 how can the average HR practitioner use your tool to get started and try to figure out what they should be looking at? So let's look at the assessment phase for a minute, if you could walk us through a bit of that. Sure. So it goes back to a little bit of my earlier comments about um, meeting with colleagues and determining whether or not the path you are on needs to be altered. So simply trying to return to normal, and I use that in the broadest possible terms, it is not uh, probably practical. And I think it makes sense to think about does the business strategy, certainly after review, need to be reset in some form or fashion? And if so, how? Then I, I think it's around uh, workforce readiness. Um, you know, how willing are your folks to return to the office, assuming that you could gauge their willingness to do that with certain caveats about the actions that you have taken or will take in the workplace and their ability to, um, to uh, be able to return to the workplace or in some fashion to the manufacturing plant or the shop floor or whatever the case may be. I think also, as I mentioned, you know, it's, it's also about community readiness. You know, what's the infrastructure where your uh, organization is located? If you're uh, several floors of a high-rise building in New York, you know, you'd need to find out what plans there are for the, for the building uh, that are done. And there's several um, folks who are in this space, Cushman and Wakefield, for example, have done some really good work on what to think about and, and how, to, how to do this. But you know, you can't communicate to your employees uh, what the, the workplace will look like unless you understand what the building and the environment will look like because mm-hmm. they're going to have some very basic questions like, okay, I, I see that everything around us is closed and that the four closest subway stops are closed. I'm making this up, but, you know, whatever the case may be, can they get there safely? And can, they, can you give them an assurance about the workplace that they are going to be expected to be in? You know, you'll have to think about what are the relative, you know, safety concerns, the essential services that you, uh, that you may have to provide. Also, I think you need to do an examination of all of the partners that you have, those that provide platforms or services to, uh, to support the worker. Um, you know, how, how sustainable is your supply chain? We've seen, I think, in the larger scheme of things, food supply chains and protective equipment and medicine and a variety of things. And there's, I'm sure we'll sort all that out as a nation. But just from a, you know, supporting your employees' perspective, how stable are all of your partners? Were they impacted? If you had some uh, partners who were um, perhaps at, at risk or have gone out of business or a variety of things. So the question is, you know, what do you actually have in terms of things you can depend on in terms of safety and stability of the workplace and your partners. You know, I think it's also worth a conversation around, you know, have you, I hope, I'm sure you did, uh, do an assessment of all of your workers early on as to where they were. You know, some people didn't get uh, out of a country and get home in time, and some of them are in different parts of the world. I'm sure, you know, working with, you know, international uh, organizations have have provided for their for their safety, but you know all those folks uh, at least needs an assessment, some repatriation, and if so, 
when and, and, you know, what might that look like? So that's the first thing, I think, is to kind of figure out what, uh, as Shakespeare would have said, what fresh hell do we have here? Um, mm. And I, I, if I'm going to use profanity, I want to preface it by saying Shakespeare said it first. So if you have a concern, then, you know, take There has been more profanity on this show in the past, so you're, you're in All good right. company. Yeah. I think that was the extent of, of my profanity. So okay. um, I think the next the next part is really to then think about, okay, how would you prepare the workforce and the workplace, right? So clearly there's all kinds of sanitation and deep cleaning that needs to happen, but there's also a lot of other things. What can you do to the workplace to make it as contactless as possible? So whether that looks like, you know, Hand sanitized dispensers that just, you know, sent like a, like a faucet where you can, it, it turns itself on when you're close to it, right? Um, you know, what can you do about spacing? We know that at minimum you need six feet um, between people just because of the, uh, the sharing of, of common air and droplets and whatnot. And there are some indications that it might even need to be further than that. So what do we do now that we have all these really fabulous open floor plans where everybody can just see and hear everyone else? It's just, it's just a beautiful thing as we all congregate around the common areas in the kitchen. And so the question then becomes, well, what are you going to do? Put police tape across every middle aisle or, you know, every third seat? Or how, So how are you going to do that? How are you going to get people to understand the ways in which they need to move around the office so that there's less um, overlap? And so that people are moving in the same direction and that there isn't congregation in kitchens or bathrooms or, you know, common areas. I mean, there's all these things that would need to be thought through. And you'd have to think about, okay, what's the continual way in which we want people to uh, control their own hygiene? So, you know, do we have hand sanitizers everywhere? I mean, there are some places where people will literally be, you know, spritzed, if you will, you know, so that the clothes that they wear in or the shoes don't track things in, you know, are we going to do checks throughout the day? Are we going to um, think about some way of making people self-assess on a Sunday night, whether or not they can come in on a Monday morning uh, in terms of whether or not they have any symptoms? If we, if we do temperature checks, and I think all of us have traveled internationally and you know what that's like, you're walking through with a herd of humanity and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the place lights up if you have a, a, a fever, Right? Are we going to do that? And then how often must we do that? Because, and what do we do? And assure people that that's, that's the way we're going to determine safety, given that many people are asymptomatic. So those are all, all questions you're going to need to ask and think through, because how do you then uh, not only communicate the health status of people, well, let's just set aside HIPAA regulations for a moment, but, you know, how do you then turn to workers and say, well, you know, these are the folks you worked with in that shift two days ago and they're now positive. And so you've got to walk through that very delicate dance of respecting people's privacy and yet ensuring the safety of others. Um, And, and it's, it's all about, I think, helping people understand it is not a return to normal. It is a return to something which may be ameliorated, you know, over time, but it is going to be a different world. And you're going to need to train them so that when you get back, that's yeah. the return part of the planner, you're going to have to figure out what's the level of support you're going to need to have from security, from people who are um, uh, qualified to deliver health checks, um, about the people who are going to need to be there on site to help with health and well-being, uh, particularly mental health um, support. 
What training are you going to be able to provide to folks either before or on the day of, of, returnal, uh, of return in terms of how they need to conduct themselves and the new expectations for work? You know, how will you then incorporate those who are in the, in the office under this new, new set of parameters with those who are still working remotely? And will you have, for example, a remote first policy so that we think first about how we will include the remote workers and then those who are pretty much in a plexiglass box or in an isolated area? Or are you going to have people who are expected to sit and eat their lunch within a plexiglass shield so that they don't mm. – um, it's just mm-hmm. – so just. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but you have to think about all these different things and decide – what makes sense for our organization and our business processes. And every HR policy that you had is probably going to be reviewed and perhaps upended. Probably every workflow that you had needs to be reexamined. So if you had an approval process or a manufacturing process, it's all going to be different now because you might have people who are remote looking at an approval process chain, let's say. Or if you're in a physical setting, you know, how does that, assembly line or shop floor need to look given social distancing. So, yeah. Um, I, we had a, so we had the, the, the show the other night and, and in, as, as happens sometimes a conversation kind of developed on Twitter after the show related to people going back to work. Um, and mm-hmm. a couple of people said that they had, that listened to the show um, that have conversations apparently with CHROs, much like you guys do, shared that um, oh, they're talking to companies and, and the CEOs, CHROs don't seem to be in a hurry to bring people back to work, despite, you know, sort of like the desire by the government to get the economy reopened and all of that. Um, and and I saw a couple, and I, I think I'm naming the right companies. And again, this is all just anecdotal, but I think they said that Microsoft, Airbnb, and Google all said people will probably continue to work from home through the end of the year at a minimum, mm-hmm. if not more. Um, yeah. I'm just curious, like, it, it, I, I'm assuming, you know, the conference board does similar conversations. The, the other thing is that counterpoints with a, a story, an article on a churn the other day that said that work from home is not going to become, according to people they interviewed, work from home is not going to become the norm. So we're and, and and honestly, I suspect we don't know. But do you guys have a do you guys have sort of a, any trend data on that that you can share with us that you're aware of? Sure. So I spend a large part of my waking days talking to uh, CHROs and heads of leadership development and learning, people who are in the analytics or total reward space, and. I, I have to say I'm finding also and I'm hearing also that people are very thoughtful about this return process in particular, and I don't know anyone who's in a, in a rush to, um, to reopen the workplace in whatever form or fashion they thought it was now going to take place, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I have had conversations with some people who have said um, they're, they don't see a return until much later in the year. I've had one that said they weren't going back until there was a vaccine. Now, okay, even if that vaccine process is fast-tracked and it's much shorter time frame than what I'm understanding is usually four years or so to get a vaccine, I'm sure mm-hmm. this kind of attention is probably, you know, it's faster than that. But, but that's well into the, 
well into 2021, if not beyond. So, you know, I think people are, are rightfully cautious. I've had some that, that said to me they're going to continue to support their essential workers in one fashion, and they're going to keep those who can work remotely pretty much out of it. And part of that was a concern for the essential workers. Why bring in people whose um, quarantine level they can't control now exposing mm-hmm. those who are their essential workers, and so they're just deciding not to do it. You know, I, I think where I think, uh, where I see um, where I've seen the conversations. Uh, so I think this is the difference where I see um, HR leaders because it's it's the it, it's the HR person often looking for guidance. Um, is it small and mid-sized businesses, <clears throat> no matter the industry, are ready to open next week? As soon as, as soon as their municipality or state allows them to bring people back to the workplace, irregardless of the business, they are they are doing it. So hmm. there are folks that um, you know our restrictions are being lifted, and May fifteenth we can go back, and our CEO business owner wants our our 50 employees who have all been working from home to be back in the office. So we're going to do it. Yeah. So yeah, there's, I mean, that is, there's, there's, there's that. And I think it makes a difference sometimes if it's a smaller um, mm-hmm. organization where um, it, it may be a very different world than, let's say, um, a medium to, to larger size organization that yeah. has a great many more employees. And, you know, I think we started at the top of the hour saying there's a whole spectrum on virtually every one of these elements. And it really does depend on how your industry or your geographic region or your company in particular was impacted. And, um, you know, I think we don't know just how remote working will eventually shake out. I do think that, you know, if we, even if we didn't believe the research ours and others in the past, it said that people who work remotely are generally speaking as productive, if not more so, than other workers. I think what we've learned is that people can be productive, and if they can be as, as productive now, given the backdrop of, you know, cramped living spaces or childcare <laughs> issues or the speed with which we had to pivot to do this, if they can do that under those circumstances, imagine a more thoughtful you know, mm-hmm. calmer approach to working remotely, and a lot of people are going to say, you know what, why do I need to give up square footage and, um, you know, a, a lifestyle to go live in the city or right outside in suburbia when I could live in the middle of anywhere, as I do in mm-hmm. northwestern New Jersey, and have a quality of life and work remotely? I mean, some people are going to ask those questions, and they're going to say, mm-hmm. you know what, why am I doing this? And I think it's and these are the questions we're all going to ask. You know, what business mm-hmm. are we in? What career, what kind of career do I want to have? How do I want to balance? And I use that term loosely because I'm not sure there is balance, but let's say juggle work and life. And mm-hmm. some people are going to start to think, you know, maybe there's something to this. So I would imagine, you know, with every pendulum swing in any, you know, crisis mode, usually the pendulum swings back after a while and you get to something that's sort of a down the road or in the middle kind of thing, but but we'll see. Yeah. I think a lot of people are pleasantly surprised to see, you know what, we can do this a different way and still be successful. 
it's <laughs> it's kind of mind-boggling to be honest it's just uh whenever whenever we start down these conversations it's just so difficult um is there i don't this is off the wall question i guess for the show is there a specific <laughs> point you know given all the all the the varieties of you know size of business that we just talked all that kind of stuff is there some is there mm-hmm. one particular spot that somebody should pick you know like do you pick do you start with your culture or do you start with we just where are our people i mean is there a spot on the map where somebody should kind of just you know put a pin in and go from there or is it too variable for that you know i, I think always you should take care of your people first um it's it's like you know when we were trained back in the days when we used to fly fairly regularly mm-hmm. you were taught to put your own mask on first should it drop from the magic ceiling before helping right. others right and you've got you've got to take care of people you've got to help them believe that there is going to be a brighter day around the corner we will get there this is difficult but we're in it together and we're going to get through it together and then you've got to attend to people's basic needs you know you've got to figure out okay who doesn't have a laptop and who who needs, you know, this kind of support or that kind of support. And, and you've got to figure out how you help your employees recognize that even if this is uh, a crisis now, we will get through this. And then you've got to help them stay focused. And I think good leaders find ways to, to communicate both sometimes the hellishness of a current situation, but with the future that they, they have a plan to get there. And even if they mm-hmm. don't have all the answers, which they freely admit we don't have all the answers, this is what mm-hmm. we think is the right course, and let's be prepared to continually get more data and shift if we have to. Because, you know, every leader, whether it's a crisis moment or not, every leader is asking people to hitch their wagons to their star and to follow you up a hill. And if you can't articulate where, why taking that hill is important, and how they can trust you as a leader because you're authentic, um, and hopefully you've built respect and trust long before the crisis moment. That's what every leader has to do, and that's never going to change. Helping our community. Sorry about that. My my browser just decided to apparently. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I um uh, I've got a question because um, Rebecca, you mentioned you know obviously talking uh, across the spectrum of of uh, HR executives and leaders, you mentioned spending a lot of time talking to um, kind of the L&D, you know, talent development side as well. Um, what what have you found or what are people talking about? Um, are people starting to plan for um, redeploying workers um, and and upskilling them to do something different, perhaps when they come back. Has that sure. raised its head at any level? Yeah. So um, we're um, uh, part of a consortium of people. Um, it's people and work led by um, a platform that Accenture has built to try to uh, help business to business redeployment of talent and. That's not the only approach out there, but uh, it's, it's one of, of a couple of initiatives where people are setting aside what might have been constraints in the past or, or maybe uh-huh. something along the lines of competition, uh, but they're setting all that aside to try to put workers back to work. 
So mm. you have these organizations that are truly hiring uh, because they they need more call center representatives, for example, mm-hmm. or a variety of things. And then you have people who uh, need desperately to have people who are uh, drivers. They need people for mm-hmm. delivery. And so, you know, trying to match up organizations who have uh, excess capacity with those who have needs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are taking on faith that the person at Company X had screened these folks, and they're probably great hires, and so we'll take them. And, and hmm. forestalling a lot of the, the more of the friction that would have meant a longer time to putting someone on a payroll. And yeah. even if you can't get a government office, let's say, to verify someone's I-9 status, well, okay, let's just assume we'll figure all that out later. And there's maybe a couple yeah. of cases where there was, there was an issue. But for the most part, let's put people back to work and let's give them an opportunity to work, to get a paycheck, to take care of their families and to eliminate some of the, not eliminate, but let's say reduce much of the stress that comes from uh, not being able to do those things. And that Mm -hmm. has been a wonderful example of our profession pulling together for the greater good. And um, one of my colleagues, uh, Robin Erickson, uh, Mm -hmm. co-authored a blog just recently. It's on the uh, uh, conference board website about what they're doing at American Airlines with the head of uh, diversity and inclusion. Just, just great stories like that of people who care more about putting workers first or taking care of their, their employees than they are about, you know, following a particular protocol or being uh, perhaps quite the same way we were in the past. That, I think, is a wonderful thing. And that's, yeah. that's not rare in crisis. You see people stepping up, and sometimes that's the best of us. So. Oh, I love that. Um, I had a question, uh, another, I guess this is kind of off the mark of the, of the planner tool, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, in, I heard a BBC reporter, an interview or a couple of economists, and they were talking about, you know, just the, the return, uh, as everyone's talking about, and both of them were very, um, well, they, they described. They, they said that we wouldn't experience what they referred to as a V-shaped recovery. That you know we, you know, I, that a lot of people hope that this is going to be, once the COVID virus is somewhat under control, you know, we'll kind of return back to how things were in terms of the economy, and that a lot of people that are out of work will, will go back to work, and everything will sort of kick in quickly. Certainly, what you know the president is telling folks and all that kind of stuff. Um, has the conference board looked at that at all? And do you guys have sort of any indication of what you think is going to happen? I know that's a little bit off the map of what we were talking about, but I'm just curious. No, I'm, I'm happy to happy to, to to speak to that. So, for more than 100 years, you know, the conference board has um, uh, had tremendous economic prowess, whether that's consumer confidence or CEO confidence and. You know, our chief economist, uh, Bart Van Ark, and his team have done some really incredible work with various scenarios. And um, I I know from listening to them and working with them over the years, they will never tell you this is the scenario that you should plan for. They will look at several scenarios, and I think uh, reasonable people will look at each of those and decide, you know, in the event of this scenario, if it comes to pass, we should be prepared for X. Uh, and if this scenario, if scenario B comes to pass, we should be uh, prepared for a different um, way to, to approach this. We don't know. And there are so many things that we don't know about this particular virus. 
We don't know if it will tend to come back in the fall, as do other viruses from the coronavirus Mm -hmm. family. We don't know if there's a resurgence. We don't know if it's a V-shape, a U-shape, an L-shape, or a W, if there's a resurgence. But all of those certainly are, you know, on the conference board website. I urge you to take a look. We have tremendous assets there on the COVID-19 crisis across the entire spectrum of everything we do. But I, I think the important thing here is to say it could be a variety of things. And that's another reason why many of the HR leaders with whom I speak are not anxious to race back to the, to the, um, the new normal, the reimagined workplace, whatever it might be, because we truly don't know. I mean, imagine if you go through uh, all of the preparation to bring your folks back, assuming that you believe that all of the indications are that you should, there's probably also going to be some concern about whether or not there's a resurgence. And so I think that's why everyone is particularly cautious because in the words of CHRO Mary Lee Handel of the Port Authority, you just don't know the full scope here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, it, it's just, I, it, I don't know that there's been a thing, I mean, you know, you, you talked about 9-11, and, I, you know, I was back on a plane a week after that event took place, and, and the airport was, I was in Indianapolis, and the airport was destroyed because they, they, they didn't have the staff, and they were screening everybody, and I stood in the security line, I think, for three and a half hours to, you know, obviously flights were delayed and stuff, but it was a finite event, and, you know, and you could you could see as we recovered, you could see that things were slowly getting better. And I think the scary part to your point is we don't, we don't know right now. And so that makes, that makes business be cautious. Um, it, but it, it also raised, so like, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm thinking is like if business is being conservative, they may not respond as fast as, as they normally would because of the high degree of uncertainty and not wanting to make a big mistake. But it can also appear on the flip side as if you're not providing leadership. So there's a kind of a dichotomy there of how companies can be forces and do the right thing, but also how do they assess? So is there a, you know, does your tool help with that, do you think? Or is, is there an approach that, that businesses might want to think about and, and HR leaders might want to try to build into this, their, their plan, whatever it looks like, related to that? Well, I think uh, just like scenario planning that's done under normal circumstances, um, that should be one of the things that's, that's a given. And I think it needs to be deeper on so many levels. So, for example, I, I'm not sure that too many people built into their business continuity plans if their entire C-suite was infected and out of pocket. Mm-hmm. It's not a scenario that most people think too much about. You know, most people, I think, are reading the same stories or experiencing fully many of the same things. And there are several instances where the whole leadership team was, was taken down for at least, you know, a, a, a certain period of time. What do you do in those instances? And have you thought about that? I think our eyes have been opened to what are the possible ramifications of a variety of crises that we need to plan for. And that's one of them. So, you know, I, I, I do think that all of the planning that we do, and, and let's, we didn't even touch on this today. I, 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 this time has gone so fast and there's so much to talk about. But you, remember in the old days when you used to do workforce planning? 
Okay. Yep. So, yeah. Okay, great. So, so now uh, workforce planning is a completely different thing. And uh, one of the special moments is, okay, hopefully we can tap um, a lot of our experiences here. We can perhaps um, direct our efforts in AI toward workforce planning. But we're going to have to be thoughtful about that too because AI depends on a lot of history and patterns and looking for the insights that come from, you know, such random pieces of data and just multitudes of data. Well, we don't have a long-standing precedent for the world in which we're now going to be emerging into. And so how helpful is it to look at past patterns in a world that no longer is quite the same? So I, I, I don't... I don't know that there are easy answers, but I do know this, that America's best days are still ahead of us. And if we can get enough bright people in a room, we'll figure it out. We might not get it always right, but we'll figure it out. We'll course correct. And we've got an awful lot of people, I think, who have um, sort of re-embraced what their mission or purpose in life is. And if that connects to the company they work for, I think we're going to have an opportunity to rebuild the culture um, at these different organizations to welcome new people, to build and keep going. So we'll be all right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it, it'll be a big challenge, but that's kind of, that's in some ways, that's kind of what our country has been about for a long time is to, to meet these challenges and, and do better. And we go up and down. Um, I tweeted out the conference board link on my Twitter account at Mike Vanderbord on Twitter. I tweeted out the conference board page that has information related to pandemic uh, information kind of oh, the, you know, across the board. So um, we're three minutes Thank away you. more or less from the end of the show. So um, I guess any, any last thoughts, um, Rebecca, any kind of closing statement? And then we'll ask you to kind of tell folks where they can find you in the conference board. Uh, sure. So, I guess in closing, what I would say is that I've always believed that um, those of us in the human capital profession laboring in one aspect of HR or another, um, we've always done important work. But probably we've seldom been as relevant as we are today because keeping people and workplaces uh, and the communities and customers and clients we serve uh, starts with people. And how important are we as we sit here and we think about what will we bring in terms of our skills and expertise to make sure that those are positive experiences for workers and safe places for them uh, to, to thrive and grow? So I think we're only going to become more and more pivotal in this, and then my hope is that um, there's a stronger partnership with all of the senior leaders across an organization who will need to bond together uh, for the greater good. So I, I guess I'm eternally an optimist and um, I, uh, I believe that uh, the, best, the best is still yet to come. So I'm here at the conference board. I have the privilege of leading the U.S. Human Capital Center. Uh, we have hundreds of, uh, of members, and it's my job to marshal an incredible group of people to provide the research insights and convening and counsel and co conference experiences uh, and digital media assets to support people across the entire range of human capital. And if I can be of service uh, to any of your listeners, um, I hope you'll um, reach out and let me know. Um, you can uh, reach me at Rebecca.Ray at TCB.org. 
And um, I want to just take this opportunity, first of all, uh, Robin and Mike, to say thank you for the opportunity to reach mm, your incredible you. audience. Uh, it's just been a pleasure. I hope we, we do this again sometime. And uh, uh, just just thank you for the opportunity to, to be a small part of this successful podcast series that you have here. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks. Thank you so Thanks. much. It was great. Yeah, it was. Thank you. And, and thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show, and uh, please share the thanks to Joe for bringing us the the idea in the first place. So I'll uh, hopefully we'll chat again sometime in the future, Rebecca. And if there's anything we can do, let us know. Otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and end the show with 30 seconds left to go, and we'll probably have another show sometime next week. But nobody's booked right now. Robin, have a great rest <laughs> of the week. And Rebecca, thank be safe both. up here in, in the Northeast. Stay safe. So long. And thank you again. Bye. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.